This is Limit Up, the place where we explore markets, strategies, and trading psychology to take your trading to the next level. Hello, traders. This is Eddie Horn from Top Step, and welcome to Limit Up, nearly 60 podcasts with some of the biggest names in the trading world knowledgeable, insightful, and darn right entertaining. And those are just the comments my mom left. This is our second installment in the series of our collection of the most important clips of our podcast archives. So let's get right into it. Michael Patak, born and raised in Nebraska, off to the big city of Chicago, looking to conquer the Dow and finding out the hard way how really steep the mountain was. Founder of Top Step, professional trader and dad let's listen in on how michael turned a dead end into a freeway learning the hard way to reach successful trading i failed to adjust i failed to have a plan i had an ego i wanted to be right everything all those does not pay the man you know what? so to speak you do not see the fruits of your labor when you're thinking that way and that's uh that was the big part about it you know you heard the line when in doubt stay out no i was like I always perceived something would happen in the markets, you know, like, oh, it's setting up for this. Let me get... Nah, so I was uh, chasing the markets rather than letting the markets come to me. Uh, I think you learn the most when you have some patience and let the markets come to you. And, and that's just instead of it saying, oh, it's, it's going to go higher. It's going to go higher. I used to have that. It's going to go hard. Ha it has to. It doesn't have to do anything. It doesn't have, like, that was the big eye-opener, too. Um, I started working with a neuro-linguistic programmer. I got in the mental side of the game where I started understanding what I was thinking and feeling. That's a huge game-changer that helped turn things around. So that was the exciting stuff uh, about learning. Now, is it painful along the way? Heck, yeah. It's working out in a gym, trying to be a, a starter on the high school varsity team all the way up to the college varsity team, college team to the pros, burning, you know, your muscles and running and, and be the first one in the gym and last one in the gym or all that. Yes, it's painful. But are the rewards worth it? Yes, they are. That's like they say, no pain, no, no gain. Exactly. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, true to life here. Now, when did you finally hit a wall where you snapped out of it and turned things around? Give us a little uh, visual on this, on uh, what you perceived, what you came into, and... Uh, how you turn things around? Oh, when my, uh, I think it was when my dad challenged me and uh, I started trading on my uh, my own now. And he looked at me and said, uh, it was during Thanksgiving, I was back for the holiday. And he's like, how are you doing this year? And I'm like, eh, I'm not doing too well. And he's like, you haven't made money in like three or four years, like really good money. He's like, you have a college education, you're not doing anything. You should be at least making $65,000 a year, you know, with that college education. And I go, I looked at him, I go, okay, 365 days from one year from now, I go, that'll be my goal to reach that number. I broke that number. I worked back from that number, said, how much do I need to make each and every day? And then I just started putting that. I lowered my expectations and increased my standards of how I was going to do things uh, and focused on, uh, I guess you could still call it small ball and chipping away, uh, brick by brick. And, and um, <clears throat> that is how I turned basically my trading and me and myself into a, uh, a winner, so to speak, or somebody that's on the right side of the markets rather than just getting slapped both ways. And that was a game changer is lowering my expectations, increase the standards at which I do things, having a realistic milestone and then breaking that milestone down to what do I need to do this week? I need to make $250 this week you know, or, or whatever it may be. And it was like $1,000 a week is what, what I needed to be around. And uh, that, that, that was your cost of living. 
that was my well, my cost of living was under a little bit under that. Okay. But my goal was, yeah, I had a cost of living that I said, hey, I need to uh, be making over like seventy dollars or eighty dollars, just something around that. I added up my utility bills. I had roommates at the time. I was like twenty four and, and all that. So I added up all that. Um, what does it cost me to get a train there and back? Five bucks. Uh, lunch every day, seven bucks. And you do all this. And this is all like living like very lean. Yeah, it's kind of like the lean startup. You ever read the book Lean Startup? It's like starting a company very lean. Like you're starting your trading career very lean. So I'm like, this is my cost. So I just need to be above that. So my whole, my big goal was be above my cost. Because you can't consider yourself a trader in this business if you're playing the game and it's costing you more to play it than it is to not play it. You know, so you're just giving money to the market. So find your break even. A big recommendation is find your break even. If you're going to do this, not your break even if you give up your, your career. I had, a, I had a bartending gig at the end of the day, so I took that into consideration, and it took a little pressure off me to, to – I didn't have to make as much money. So you do all these things, and you, you listen to these little things that if I adjust this variable, okay, I bartend the Thursday, Friday, Saturday shift. That's going to be you know 600 bucks right there. So that takes off 1000 a week that i got to sure, make. Sure. That's 400 I can do $100 a day on average, and then it, you know stuff like that. So you start putting these together. You bring trading down to, to God's green earth, down to like instead of like I'm going to be the greatest trader I ever lived, I'm going to make a million dollars a year. You bring it down to just chip away, small ball, and uh, you start working into becoming a athlete of the marketplace, so to speak, and somebody that actually understands how the markets are moving and, and respects the dollar that they make. You know, it's right. $100 a day, uh, trading for a couple hours a day or four hours a day, and then going bartending. That's a pretty good life. I mean, hey, that's one one life. You can work into a better life going that direction, too. Some individuals already have day jobs, and you can work this around that. So it's just lowering your expectations is a big one, and then humbling yourself and saying, all right, this is a learning man and woman's game. I got to learn, and I got to stay growth-minded. I got to stay open-minded to learning from every little mistake. And that that helps. Right. Yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, the best way to get to a top of the tree is utilizing all the branches. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that'll get you to where you want to be uh, for that. Anyway, now, there's been a lot we've talked about previous years gone by about some of the markets and some of the situations that uh, we both were in and such. Now, don't want to open up a can of worms, but how about uh, giving us a little insight on, let's say, the scariest trade you ever made the scariest trade now i know there's there's been a lot of uh times where you've probably got caught with a sell in the market rallies or the uh, you know a buy in the market break what's the scariest trade you've got into oh i remember that one because that one never goes away there there's two of them but the the biggest one the scariest one was when i was in the pit and in the pit if you said the word sold eddie what did that mean whatever's there you're the seller and uh, you will take everything when you say sold without a numeric quantity. Quantity, quantity, exactly. So basically, it was a quiet time in the day. Uh, New York was on lunch. We're in Chicago, so we always knew New York was on lunch. So it was like 11 o'clock Chicago-ish time. Nothing big. Nothing big, quiet. We're actually sitting down in the pit because it's kind of quiet. Next thing you know, I see one of the brokers stand up, and he stands up, and I'm like, ah, you know, he's standing up, and you could see through their mannerism it was a big order or not, but Today, he didn't show it was a big order. He's, well, show, he just stands up and goes, 87 bid. And he goes, 87 bid. Right when he says 87, I just kind of get up. I'm getting up. I go, sold. And he looks at me. He's like, eyes get really big. And he goes, 300. And I'm like, 
oh my God, 300, 600 minis. It's 600, it's five, it's five up right now. Five up is how many minis are on the bid and offer. 600 minis would take that 10, 20 cents higher if I want to just go to the market with all of them, right, right. which is instantly sure. like a $10,000 loss. So I'm like, oh man, oh man, oh man. And I was instantly like, it still gives me chills right now just thinking about it. The guy right behind me was one of the coolest cats I know, Tim Gleason in the training pit right away goes. Timmy was cool. Yeah, he's very cool. And he right away, he's like, I'll take 50 of them. And you know, that's like, he didn't have to do that. He didn't know he took a loss because instantly it was a loser by a tick. So now I'm sitting there, markets weren't moving. It wasn't like it was moving. So I'm now sitting with 600 short at the price of 87. The markets are trading 88, 89 tick down, tick, higher, tick, down. Everybody in the pit knows I'm short. Nobody in the pit has that big a position, even remotely close. Even if I, you know, you would know. <clears throat> so now I'm like, oh my God, it's uh, 88 bid. I'm short 87s, 600 or 200 or what it'd be 500 of them now because 50 of them I laid off, which means that's a uh, hundred minis I gave to the buddy right behind me because he's like, I'll help you out. So I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm short 500 of them now and I got to get out of these ones, but I can't go to the market with them or I'm going to move the market against myself because I'm short 87s, the market's 88 bids. So it's one tick higher. So I'm instantly out of loser, which means I'm going to have to get 89s, but there's only five of them at 89 and I got 500 of them. So I got 595 and I'm not going to hit it. I'm not going to lift the offer because if I lift the offer, then I'm just going to drag or push the price higher. So you have to sit there and work it. And it's called working in order. So, uh, but at the same time, if anything, Eddie, if anything, if anything that like, came out and we were trading the Dow, if anything came out positive to the economy and the news related thing and it shot up, my life would have been completely over. And when I say completely over, it's completely over like, financially. Because um, as a floor trader, if I'm short 500 of them and it goes screaming higher, I have to get out of those 500. You know, the clearing firm doesn't really know about them at that point and, and electronic trading, you know, and your fund, long story short. But if it went 10 cents higher for every like 10 cents, it was like, what would it be five? It'd be like 25 grand. So it'd be something, it was something crazy. Crazy. Um, yeah, we could do the math. But uh, the whole thing about it, if it moved like 10 or 20 cents, I knew there's 30 grand, 30 grand, 30. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, I got like 50 grand in my trading account. Uh, and uh, oh my God. Uh, okay. If this goes... I'm out the trading account. We've seen markets go 10, 20, 30, 40 cents, 100 cents in a second. And it's out, out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. Right. And I'm sitting there thinking, if this happens to me right now, I'm my house is gone, my condo's gone, my car's gone. Um, they'll seize, they'll, they'll I have to file for all that stuff goes through your head. And it's not like I just had a bad day at work. I, you know, um, accidentally emailed somebody and, you know, uh, I was ticked off and I might, lo might lose my job. You're going to lose your career and you're going to lose everything you built up. And more because that's what trading the world of trading on the floor electronic trading is a little bit different if they see your account here they can auto liquidate and do all that kind of stuff right now but that was before all this mm -hmm. and that was a scary spot right and i got out of that with like a thirty five hundred dollar loss <laughs> oh man i was totally see? happy with that yeah totally uh, happy with that so i'll take thirty five hundred dollar loss and and <laughs> skip and dance and all that considering and, yeah the yeah. situation yeah you scared me you scare me every time you tell me that story now Let's just say that uh, we've got a hot tub time machine. All right, we got a hot tub time machine, and uh, I'm going to let you use it, Mike. Now, uh, if you could go back in time, right? If you could go back in time and tell yourself one thing as you started out, share with us what would that be? Stay patient. Anthony Credelli. Anthony became a member of the Chicago Mercantile Exchange in 1999, and remains one to this day. In the Futures Radio Podcast, 
Anthony shares his extensive experience as a futures trader and provides insight into what's happening in the market. Anthony is going to share with us his difficult time trying to reach the promised land of successful trading. But, you know, at the beginning, uh, very, very difficult for my own $25,000. It was every penny I had. And I remember telling my parents I was going to do this. And they were like, buy a condo. What are you doing? You're going to start trading futures. Right. And I said for six months, I traded in the pit. And that six months, I basically blew out my account. I maybe had a little bit of money left. I remember I had my seat lease coming up. And that's when I started to, to move over to the electronic side because I basically admitted that I was not going to be successful as a pit trader. The costs were so high. Nobody was trading with me. Uh, I was just a poor trader. I also went into it, I think, with absolutely the wrong attitude. I went into it thinking I was going to be rich because everybody I worked for was making great money. I had gone through that $25,000, and then I had to go to one of those traders I mentioned, Louis Lauder, uh, and, and I went to him, and he was the most successful trader that I had worked for. And I asked him for $25,000 to be able to go back to trading. <laughs> um, and he was like, okay, I'll give it to you. Um, and I told him I was going to be trading electronically. And he just looked at me like, why? <laughs> you know, they're all making millions trading in the pit. And I was trying to go electronically. And like I said, really, it was because, uh, number one, I, I felt I can control my risk better on the screen. In the pit, I would get hit on, on trades. And then when I tried to get out, sometimes I couldn't get out. And I just couldn't afford it. And with the mini, I was able to trade smaller, control my risk, and put stops in, just make more calculated decisions, as opposed to weighing on the pit to be able to get in and out. It was very tough for me. Right. Uh, probably another year or so went by, I went through another $25,000. Right. This time, I didn't go through it losing money. And like I did the first time, I went through it basically getting expensed out. So then I had to go back to Louie. <laughs> and I'm like, Louie, I'm already into you for 25 uh, can I borrow another 25? And he was, <laughs> I remember going up to him and just hating to have to do it. But I'm like, look at, this is what I'm going to do. And at this moment, I was like, look at, I, I, I've been trading electronically for a year. I was making it. Seat leases were expensive. I was doing whatever I could working to make money to be able to exist. You know, so I was either doing out trades. Uh, I was helping my brother check trades when he wasn't there, whatever I could. And he ended up giving me the, the $25,000. Then I go through that twenty five thousand uh, over a period of time. It was probably just uh, about a year in time as well. Right. Now, obviously, I can't go back to Lou because he's going to rip me a new one. He already knew that I was out. He was out the money, and it was very hard for me to even face him and tell him that I was broke again. So I went to my aunt, the only person I really could go to, and I said, "Look, I need ten thousand bucks." I'm like, you know, look at, I, I, I know it sounds crazy. It's probably the worst investment you're ever going to make, but I actually feel like I've learned how to make money now. Uh, you know, and she, I told her the whole story. I'm like, I'm in debt 50 grand plus my own 25,000. I'm like, I need this 10,000 to stay in the game. She gave it to me. Fortunately, I turned it around. I feel like at that moment, I finally just like, I had a lot of luck because the markets were busy. I was able to start making money right away. I remember just giving her, you know, 200 bucks, 500 bucks, whatever I could to pay that 10,000 off as fast as I could. And within six months, I was able to, to purchase a seat. Uh, and then before you knew it, my career started taking off. Now, l let me ask you, Anthony. Okay. Uh, you mentioned luck. Now, of, of course, 
luck had a big part of, of being successful there. Uh, you know, a lot of the other guys, when I came into the business, you know, there was a few guys that took me under their wing uh, and, and showed me the ropes and so forth. Now, it, sadly to say that it, it's almost a rite of passage to blow, a, uh, to blow an account, okay, uh, to, to lose big money. But, you know, you had the, the passion, you had the goal, uh, you had the dream. Now, what did that feel like? Obviously, you mentioned the 25, 25, 20 that you borrowed. You couldn't go back to him. You had to give your aunt a call. What was the main reason that got you back on your feet? What was the uh, the vision that you had? Uh, obviously, the passion was there. You know, never say die. This is something that you wanted. But what turned everything around? What was that click? What was that sign? What was that moment where... Uh, you got a grasp of the markets, and uh, you started to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Well, the first thing was I never envisioned myself doing anything else. It's all I ever wanted to do. So every time I got to the point where I had no money in my account, I looked in the mirror and said, who are you? What are you going to do if this doesn't work out? And I just couldn't get past that this is all I envisioned myself doing. So I basically willed myself through it, struggled with anxiety, and just you know, my early 20s were you know, a lot of people are partying and out having fun. I was not doing that. And it was probably the hardest time of my life. And I, what got me to the point where I, I turned the corner, we'll call it, it okay. was borrowing from my aunt. I think at that moment prior to that, I was not as defensive as I should have been. And I, and I thought I was playing defense pretty well, but I knew at this moment, I'm like, this is it. Before, I guess I kind of felt that there was something behind me that could, you know, possibly if I ran out of money, I could get back in. But I, this was it. So because that was it, and also I had gone through going broke so many times. And I remember the last time I went through my 25000 before I had to borrow the ten. that last $10,000, I was kind of throwing my arms up in the air, just kind of giving up. And just because I think as I got closer to zero on my account, I, mentally, I felt defeated again because I'm like, here we go again. This time when I had a 10000 in there, I felt recharged and I'm like, I'm going to defend this $10,000. So when I went in with the mentality of knowing that I was going to lose money on days and accepting it, I was able to manage my risk so much more efficiently and I just felt so much more disciplined when once I got down a certain amount or in a day where I didn't feel like I was trading well or, or anything that... I felt could put me in harm's way mentally going into the trading day or in the middle of a trading day, I would just walk away because I, I just felt stronger mentally at that moment. Anne-Marie Band, American author, financial analyst, technical analyst, trading education, trading educator, friend and mom. With trading running through her veins... Anne-Marie has taken on some very difficult paths to her successful career. Anne-Marie doesn't look for the easiest route and welcomes all challenges. Join me in hearing Anne-Marie share her thoughts about trader inconsistency and why it's such a deciding factor for success or failure. One thing I noticed was absolute inconsistency all the time. I mean, I would get one trade good and then 20 trades bad and really the one trade is just luck it's absolute luck and so i thought to myself wait a second why am i being inconsistent and what i noticed was well everything about me is inconsistent i don't eat regularly i don't um 
I don't do anything on a regular cycle. Everything about, I don't exercise on a regular cycle. I don't do anything. And I think it's really, a lot of us are inconsistent. We're inconsistent about, hey, you know, I really need to lay off X and I don't. You know, I really want to. And so building consistency is part of a human condition, which very few of us actually have in spades. And so what I saw was, all right, You've got to get consistent, but you've got to get consistent in a way that's easy for you to do. And so for me, it had to be one, two, three, four. I couldn't do anything more than that. One of the most difficult things that I have to work through as a trader in the space is being overwhelmed by too much information because being a functioning autistic I am often extremely overwhelmed and bombarded by information. I have to filter it out. And doing that actually forced me to say, okay, if you do one, two, three, four, then seven out of 10 times or eight out of 10 times, this is going to happen. Let me ask you real quick. How how long did it take you to start saying, you know what, I need priorities? Um, Yeah. Sometimes you were mentioning, you know, uh, you weren't eating right. You weren't exercising, you know, uh, consistently. But sometimes our lifestyles don't let us do what we want to do. But we've got to do the best that we can. Exactly. Um, Where does that take us? I mean, where would you give somebody some information and some uh, some insight on, you know what, my lifestyle, I got kids, you know, I got to do this, I got to do that, but but I want to do this. I've got the passion for trading. I got the desire for trading. Um, I want to trade. I want to see success, but the time is not there. Yeah. Well, you know what? I have this philosophy about the human condition. We'll make the time for whatever, what we really want to do. For instance, if you love sports, my husband's a sports junkie. He's made me a sports junkie. He finds the time to catch up on XYZ, whether it's 30 minutes here, 45 minutes there. It might not be a specific regimen, but it's a passion of his. And so he makes the time for it. And I think for all of us, the great equalizer is time. Mm. No matter what our socioeconomic class, from low to high, we've all got the same 24 hours. Now, many of us can use the duplication of others because we have the finances for that. But at some point, we have to go, I need to make the time for this. And that's the regiment of this is how I'm going to structure my space. And in the end, that's really what you have to do. Keyword management, lifestyle management, trade management. You know, uh, one of the things I'm always sharing with our traders is manage yourself, manage your account. Saul Shaul, a CME group floor member, active trader. He currently trades, educates, and mentors online traders experienced in the trenches of the Chicago Mercantile Exchange and the Chicago Board of Trade. Saul has seen it all. He shared his secrets of profitable trading knowledge with hundreds of eager and determined traders. Saul believes highly in preparing and having a game plan in place. Let's check out what Saul has to say about recommendations for a beneficial morning prep. Now that I've found my market, um, I'm comfortable um, making some trades, picking some good spots. I'm going to ask you 
what are some recommendations that you would suggest to traders preparing for a day of trading with your room and the traders that you talk to preparation for getting into the market? Right. So at the beginning, you, you, you need to get a game plan. Uh, you need to get, you know, what, what is your strongest suit of ability to trade? How do you trade the best? You know, are you scalping the market? Are you position trading yourself? What do you expect for the day? The, the amazing thing about these markets is that we, as a trader, you always have to expect the unexpected because every time you come in with an opinion, you're usually wrong. So what I uh, tell my traders uh, to do is try not to have an opinion on the market every day you come in. It's going to save you a lot of money because if you come in with an opinion, you start trading on the long side, for instance, and you're wrong, and but your mindset is long and the market keeps going down and you're, you know, you keep buying it when you should be maybe trying to find places to sell it. And it becomes a little bit of a deterrent. So uh, the the thing that I've learned here over the years is to make sure, try not to come in with any sort of ideas to the market's going to go up, it's going to bounce, it's going to come back, it's going to continue. Just come in there and give yourself a game plan. Give yourself, uh, uh, what am I going to do if the market goes down to a level? I got support here. If it goes up to a, a resistance level, am I going to trade it? Am I going to watch the market after a very busy day the day before because I don't know what, you know, with the market, how much volatility the market is going to have the next day? Or am I going to just, you know, jump in right away? These are questions you have to ask yourself before the market starts. You're always going to have your support and resistance levels that you're going to key off of. Then you have to come and sit there and say, all right, am I going to trade right away <clears throat> because I see I, I like the volatility. I like that, you know, we had a crazy day today before. Am I going to go? It's going to continue today or is it not going to continue today? And if you're a little bit more risk averse, you know, you settle back, you wait for a first half hour to, to play itself out and then say, OK, let's let's jump in. If you're not, if you want to jump in right away, boom, you jump in right away and take advantage of it. You know, the thing is, we don't know. You know, we don't know, but you have a game plan as to how you're going to trade, when you're going to trade, given market conditions. You know, one thing is that, you know, if you're following a market and you're consistent on the market and all of a sudden this market bottoms out and then it stalls and and, and holds there for a while, coming in and saying, you know, this market can't go any lower. It, it's got to go higher. I've caught myself doing that a lot and then seeing the market going lower. Now, what's one of the deterrents? I know that you just mentioned that, but it's so common where we think we know where the market should be going with all the indicators, support resistance and volatility and, and you know, which direction and patterns that we're looking at. But coming into the market, you really have to be neutral and you really have to be like a coin toss. It's, it can go either way. You're sitting on the fence. Which way are you going to lean on the fence? What's your thoughts on getting that first trade in? Well, again, I try not to think so much when I get into when I get in front of my screen every morning. So I'm going to think about the volatility. Are we going to be crazy this morning? Is there a reason for it to be crazy? Is there a number that just came out? Is there some uh, geopolitical situation that occurred that might create some volatility early on? Um, you know, I, I'm the kind of guy that appreciates the volatility. I like to jump in right away, but I have a lot of traders who are very risk averse and they wait out the first half hour to figure, all right, you know, I'll wait at least 10 minutes. I'll wait. I'll let this thing play itself out and then we'll go from there. Absolutely. That's the right thing too. There's nothing wrong with me jumping in right away and you, uh, waiting for 10 minutes. Uh, you know, there's a lot of ways to make money in this business. That's the only good thing about this business. How you make money. There's a lot of different ways to make money also. So that's it. You, you, you just got to be patient. What works for me doesn't necessarily have to work for you. 
what works for you doesn't necessarily have to work for me. But whatever the situation is, you put yourself into a, a methodology that you are comfortable with and you can have a complete 100% confidence in putting on that first trade without even you know blinking an eye. All right. Let's go to when to say when. And what I'm talking about is what advice would you give traders, whether they're trading well or they're trading bad? How far do they go? Trader trading well. What would you tell this trader? Well, if you're trading well that day, you just keep on trading. Uh, that's what I would tell them. The one thing I've noticed, and I think it goes without saying a lot of things that we do in life. You know, when when things are going your way, things are going to go your way. You keep going with it. Uh, and especially when you're trading well, if you're trading well, you see the market well, you see the, the areas where it's going to stop, you have good reasons. And not only that, it is stopping for you at those levels. And you're able to either scalp it or you're either to get out of a, a trade that you had on at a level that you, you thought that might get to. And so if you're trading well that day, you know, keep trading. But at the same time, have a target in mind as to how much money you're trying to make that day. You know, if it's, if it's, you know, a thousand or if it's two thousand or, 500, whatever it is, make sure you have your target set. If you get to that target, then I would like say be content, but at the same time also lower the amount of contracts that you're going to trade. You know, And if you're trading just the one lot, that's fine. Just stop trading if you reach your target because there's nothing wrong with reaching your target early and saying, okay, I got it. Because as easily as this market can give it to you, it could easily take it away from you. That's what we've learned over the years. For a trader who's, who's having a bad day, you know, I would say this. I'd say give it two two trades you put two, two two trades on that day and if things are not working out your third trade has to be your winning trade and look you know we're talking about five trades in a day maybe six you go two trades in a day with nothing and then you get to your third trade and if you lose money then you're chasing it after that so uh, my suggestion would be to my traders is that you put your two trades on if those don't work your next trade's got to be your all the setups that you have those are the one, that's the trade that you like you love the best and you figure that trade out, you put it on, and if it works for you, you keep trading. If it doesn't, you're out for the day and you wait, wait for another day. Ann Duke, American professional poker player and author. She holds a World Series poker gold bracelet. Formerly the leading money winner amongst women in the World Series of poker history, having come face-to-face -face with some of the biggest bluffers of all time, Ann is joining us to tell us how to rethink judging our decisions that are not based on outcome. Sit back and let's take in what Anne has to share. How can we start to think more in terms of probabilities? And is that the key to being okay with bad outcomes? So the short answer is yes, I really think so. I, I think that people are really get into this defensive crouch, really worrying about uh, having bad outcomes. Uh, I think partly because they think they're going to get the Pete Carroll treatment. Um, you know, it's going to go badly and everybody's going to like point their fingers at them and say it was your fault. Or they're going to give themselves the Pete Carroll treatment, which is that feeling of like, I should have known. How could I not have seen that coming? I'm so dumb. You know, all these kinds of things that we say to ourselves. And I think that there's a couple of problems that happen to people sort of as they're sort of prospectively trying to make a decision and they're not embracing the uncertainty. Right. I think that number one is that they can make decisions that are just sort of meant to swat away the possibility that somebody could blame them for it. So that could be either sort of like sticking with the status quo. In other words, like not making a decision, because if you don't, if you don't make a decision, then you can't certainly be blamed for 
the outcome or wanting to, you know, that sort of old thing of like that desire to fail conventionally. So if you think about the Pete Carroll case, the conventional choice would have been to hand it off to Marshawn Lynch. And had he done that and failed, he probably wouldn't have gotten a lot of flack for it. And I think that we do that a lot in our own lives where we don't really want to take chances and we don't really want to go down a new route because we're afraid that we're going to get blamed for that. But if we do something, even if we're building false consensus, we feel that that gives us, you know, some sort of protection against it. So that's like a big distortion that happens because we're not comfortable with the fact that there's a range of outcomes that occur and not, and not just one that will occur. Right. So a lot of this problem is whenever I make a decision, there's multiple outcomes that could occur even though only one will actually occur, right? That's the probabilistic nature of the world. And so that's sort of number one is I think that it can put us in this defensive crouch. And then number two, there's sort of two other things that I think can happen that come from sort of not being comfortable with uncertainty. Thing number one is that you just go around saying like, I guarantee it, I'm 100% sure, as if somehow you have more control over the outcome than you do. And I think that when you do that, you fail to explore the other types of ways that things could turn out because you're so focused on guaranteeing that this is the right way to go and it's going to turn out this exact way. Mm -hmm. And that's a problem because then you're not prepared for the other ways it could go. In other words, you end up living a reactive life where you're reacting and sort of surprised by these outcomes that you hadn't considered as opposed to being nimble, as opposed to imagining, okay, if it goes this way that isn't necessarily favorable to me, what is my plan in advance? number one. And then also number two on the reactivity is I think that you end up having these very bad emotional reactions to it because you haven't really considered it in advance. And it makes it very hard to deal when things don't go your way because you haven't processed it in advance. You aren't prepared for it. You aren't acknowledging Mm -hmm. in any kind of real way that things can turn out a lot of different ways. I can be driving along and I can go through a green light and I can still get an accident. And I need to sort of consider that in my decision process. And then the other thing, the third thing that I think can happen when you're not embracing uncertainty is that you can get into decision paralysis. And I I think that decision paralysis actually comes from this false sense, this false goal of thinking that you should be 100% sure that the decision that you're making is right. It's going to turn out well, and that it's the right choice. And once you sort of acknowledge there's nothing that I can be 100% sure of, and the best decisions, like Pete Carroll's decision, that only has a 1% to 2% chance of failure, it can still fail. Then what happens is that I I think that it gets you out of this thing of like, I can't make a decision because I can't be sure. Mm -hmm. Um, And instead say, my question should be, am I sure enough? And that's what you should really be asking yourself. So, you know, if I'm trying to decide between A and B, And A, I think, is going to have some range of good outcomes, you know, 55% of the time. And B is going to have some range of good outcomes 35% of the time. I can either say, no, I need to be sure that A is going to be 100% good. Or I can say, look, my two choices are A and B. And one's 55% to turn out well and one's 35% to turn out well. So that seems like a super clear choice. Bringing you the best in trading education, limit up. This and many more podcasts are available for you and your trading education. All right, traders, as always, thank you for spending time with us. And if you enjoyed this interview, please feel free to leave us a rating or review. It helps us reach new traders. Until then, I'm Eddie Horn. Bye-bye. Editing and post-production of this episode was done by Dante32.
Futures and Forex trading contains substantial risk and is not for every investor. An investor could potentially lose all or more than their initial investment. Risk capital is money that can be lost without jeopardizing one's financial security or lifestyle. Only risk capital should be used for trading, and only those with sufficient risk capital should consider trading. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results.